Hello and welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 4. In Minute 4, Nathaniel exits the choir, receives a telegram from his dear daddy. We get to meet Headmaster Timmons. Get ready to set sail on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 4. visit uh, Nathaniel in the choir, finishing up his last angelic chords with a big yah, amen. Mm-hmm. This is our first look at his outfit that which we will enjoy throughout the movie. There was lots of talk in the other piece of commentary that was added with the Kino Lorber uh, cabin boy with Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott, where they talk about Tim Burton visiting Chris Elliott early on for the movie. And the one note that he made to Chris Elliott was, you probably don't want to wear shorts. It's like, definitely (laughs) definitely go with pants. And he was, Chris Elliott was describing how Tim Burton was real hands off with the project, did not say much about any sort of feedback. And he was real adamant about this shorts piece. And ultimately, Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott decided, obviously, to keep the shorts, both regretting now, 20 years later, doing this interview that they should have not done the shorts. The shorts are fantastic. I certainly noted that this was the first appearance of the shorts. It was very exciting. But it does warm my heart to know that Burton explicitly told them not to do something and their solution was to therefore go and do it <laughs> right the one the one person that had any sort of knowledge and directing and successfully etc yep. i do note more on his outfit in general that there's a bow in his wig in the back uh, mm-hmm. i believe it'd be a blue bow gray knickers red striped tie mm-hmm. he's, he's still wearing the gloves in this scene and yes. he has you know, the blazer and the high socks as well. Yep. When I finally saw the full outfit, it reminded me of the outfits they would have for children, young boys back in the day when they were in their little formal school, but of course scaled up to fit large middle-aged man. And I wonder if this were even in one of those fancy schools, if, if this is an exaggeration or people would still be wearing something like this in a finishing school of some sort i don't know but i hope they are so he gets the telegram it's his first real interaction with another human and even when headmaster timmons is telling him that he got a a telegram he has a total look of contempt on his face at the headmaster until of course after he babbles the reading of the telegram uh learns that he has been booked first-class passage on the Queen Catherine. On the Queen Catherine. Can we take a moment to talk about Headmaster Timmons? Please, absolutely. Okay. That actor is uh, I. M. Hobson. Ivor M. Hobson. In the commentary, the tracked commentary, the one comment is Chris Elliott saying, this guy, I've seen him in other things. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They do nothing else with that. Mr. Hobson is dead, died in a car accident in uh, Wyoming. 
Oh, really? Car accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, you know, diving accidents, car accidents, all sorts of strange things associated with this movie. He is known for his work in Annie, The Hudsucker Proxy, Dracula, and Barton Fink. This was his next-to-last movie. Hudsucker Proxy was his last one. <laughs> his one bit of IMDb trivia was that he was, he's been cast in many roles as butlers, clergymen, or positions of authority. <laughs> Reichmaster Timmins appears to be right up his alley. Reichmaster Timmins. Oh, yeah. What did you come up with? Okay, so I didn't come up with much. If you look up Reichmaster, Google pushes you over to Reich Marshal, which was the uh, highest rank uh, held in the Luftwaffe in Germany during World War II. Uh, it was held by Hermann Göring, who is the head of the Luftwaffe, which was the Nazis Air Force. I didn't find anything else really directly related to that. There was a note saying that Hermann Göring held the title of the Reichmaster Hunter because apparently he was a big hunting guy. And so when you're pulling a government out of your ass, sure, you could be the head of hunting for the Reich. Why not? I found another article that purported that Hitler's personal physician was called the Reichmaster of Injection but I couldn't find any supporting documentation for that. So I don't know if that was someone just getting creative or if that was an actual thing. My favorite thing that I found. So if you look up Reichmaster, then you will eventually end up on this page here, context.reverso.net, which shows a translation of Reichmaster into English with the quote they're using being from Cabin Boy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> But what an odd choice! It, it's in the, it's in the script. Why would he put <laughs> say Reich Master Timmons? I mean, he must have some personal reference, I guess. Adam Resnick, he must have heard this term somewhere. I mean, I guess it's not uh, Chris Elliott ad libbing. It's not, but you know, we uh, we don't know if uh, Resnick or uh, Chris Elliott put it in the script. Either of them could have come up with the joke. And so you call uh, this a joke? This is yes. a joke. Yes, it's definitely okay, a joke. Not necessarily a good meaning joke. What? It's a joke. <laughs> meaning what's the joke? I don't know if joke is the best term for it, but it just demonstrates, again, the ridiculousness of Nathaniel and how he views his headmaster as overbearing in like a comical way and so like compares him half acidly to a Nazi. It's like, well, eh, you're kind of a Nazi, but you're not an important Nazi. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So when you watch that scene, when I watch that scene, he does this little smacking. There's a smacking sound that comes up when he goes, Reichmaster Timmons. Right? Marching. Okay, okay. Now I'm getting it. So he's like, you said he's marching. Is that what you said? That was my interpretation. Right. Well, I didn't make the connection. So at first, I wasn't sure what the sound was. You know, I thought he might have been, like, hitting his chest or something or his arm because his arm's kind of out of view. Mm. And he's hitting his, his side is what I thought. And then when, we pull, when I pulled up that Reichmaster quote, it says clicking heels. And if you watch uh, it again, yeah. he's clicking his heels. Like, you can't actually see his feet, but he is, you know, his legs are moving. And that's what's making the sound, clicking his heels. But... To your point, I bet that's a reference standing in line. Yes, right, master. You know, I think that would be like a Nazi move, right? To click Absolutely. Wow. So that that is all intentional. That that uh, adds another dimension. Great. 
I just honestly thought, didn't think my I didn't actually think that they were making uh, some sort of Nazi reference, but oh yeah, that that is absolutely what's happening there, and now I'm convinced. Did look up the Queen Catherine. Excellent. Uh, did not. Well, I mean, there is a ship called the Catherine Queen, uh-huh. but not come out until 2014, which would be way past when this was filmed. Mm-hmm. But for um, curiosity's sake. The Catherine Queen is an offshore supply ship, which uh, bears the flag of Indonesia, yes. the port of Batam. There is a historical ship called the HMS Royal Catherine, made in 1664. That was not kind of a fishing vessel, though. That was a 84-gun second-rate ship, which uh, a historian might tell you more on what that means, but I take it to mean some sort of warship. Sounds first-rate to me. (laughs) (laughs) I, of course, also looked up the Queen Catherine. I found the Catherine Queen, with its gross tonnage of 2,071 tons, was, as of last night, cruising around the South China Sea doing whatever one does. So, no other boats, although... In uh, the video game Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven, there is a boat named the Queen Catherine. And the game was released in 1998, so it's possible that Ah. one of the programmers put it in there as a cabin boy reference. Since it doesn't appear that the Queen Catherine was an actual existing ship, I guess we can just note here that it's just a play on the kind of standard cruise ship, Queen Elizabeth II and that type of crap. And they just chose Queen Catherine. Oh, uh, Queen Catherine otherwise known as uh, Catherine of Aragorn, who is the first wife of Henry VIII, whose refusal to annul her marriage with him because she didn't produce any male heirs and he wanted to screw somebody else, led to the schism between England and the Catholic Church and led to the founding of the Church of England. Wow. So some of the, some of the dialogue here, uh, the <laughs> heavens forbid you should experience even the slightest discomfort... I mean, Timmons, mm-hmm. I would say, does a fine job in the in this scene. Agreed. Calls uh, Timmons a frustrated, <laughs> shabbily dressed headmaster as he fixes his jacket. Mm-hmm. And uh, Timmons puts his head down to the side as he goes into the line about curbing his condescensions towards others. So a question to you. Uh, would you call Timmons shabbily dressed? No. No, I think he is. I, I think he's dressed just fine. He is. He is. seems reasonably attired. They could have put a little effort into, you know, making his bow tie askew so Nathaniel could truly be fixing a shabbily dressed headmaster. I don't think they wanted him to be shabbily dressed. Again, it's a reflection of Nathaniel's misinterpretation of reality. Aha. Uh-huh. You know, you do have a keen insight on this. I feel like there's a there's a fancy lad lying in you somewhere. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I noted that heaven forbid you should experience even the slightest discomfort is uh, for all you parents out there. It's a wonderful line to use on your children, or at least once it's in your head, you'll be thinking about it. Depending on how spoiled your child is, mine is extremely spoiled, and I look at him all the time and think that phrase. So. Adam or Chris, whichever of you wrote that, thank you. Give us the quote again. Heaven forbid you should experience even the slightest discomfort. 
So I'm going to jump because you're bringing it up in the same terms that I was. This was my philosophical pondering for this minute. <laughs> Two part. <laughs> Number one, what, what sense of Nathaniel's childhood do we have? What do we what do we think his childhood was like prior to this moment? Privileged. He got everything that he could ever want. Nothing was ever denied him. He was always told that he was wonderful. It's the life the life with a, a life with no limits for a child. But to contextualize this in terms of the movie, where does that come from? That drive of the super wealthy is it is it because of the parents like you know wanting their children to have everything or is it more parents are out working all the time or just don't want to deal with the kids and then they're brought up by nannies and whoever who are just trying to keep their jobs and um, you know give them this this strong sense of entitlement and or can we sense anything from Nathaniel if his father was do we believe involved in his life up to this point or he was raised by help? Okay, so I'm going to flash forward slightly to our encounter with his father at the end of the movie. My interpretation is that his father was just one of those parents who worked an awful lot and they had all the money in the world and so they had help to raise the children. He wasn't mean to Nathaniel, right? They, I don't sense any negative vibes from their relationship. You know, we have the dear daddy line when he first gets the note that he's so excited about. He obviously loves his father, idolizes his father, thinks he's wonderful. So my guess would be that it was a relationship in which the father was like there, but hands off. He was probably raised by like the help and other folks yeah, his mother could have been there, could have helped raise him, I don't know. But I don't get the sense that it comes from a, oh, I want my child to have everything. I think it was that they, they just had everything. There's no effort to set the child up so that he would have to learn how to work. It was more just like, oh, we, we have whatever you want. All right, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that as an answer. <laughs> it is an answer. <laughs> it is an answer. <laughs> The only other real notes I have about this particular scene is towards the end of the minute, as he's saying the line about the faculty and I have tried countless efforts to, uh, you know, get you to curb your condescensions towards others. And if you watch closely, Nathaniel, as you know, we know the lines coming up where he says about his shoes, you know, during this whole <laughs> scene, just the look on his face as he's. He's truly, he's truly stunned when he looks at the <laughs> shoes. <laughs> it's so great. I, I mean, watching it and just thinking about that we were watching it for these notes for the podcast, I found myself just laughing out loud just that of that particular just look he's giving at the headmaster shoes. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I tracked back and forward 
determine exactly when he first notices the shoes, and it's great. It's it's as Timmins is saying, uh, try to curb your condescension towards others, and then just the look on Nathaniel's face as his eyes glance down, and his face just kind of like the eyes open in shock, like oh my god, what is he wearing? And like you can see, he's completely tuned, completely tuned out anything that Timmins is saying, and he's still rambling on, and he's just like trying to comprehend how those shoes could possibly exist. It's fantastic, fantastic. Oh, it's great. So I did some uh, some frame-by-frame frame action on the note. I'm fairly certain the note is a uh, money transfer form from Western Union. Well, do, doesn't Western Union also do telegrams? They used to. I don't know if they, obviously, at this point, I don't think they did anymore. But it specifically says money transfer? Again, since I don't think telegrams were a thing in 1993 or 94, whatever they were filming this, my guess is that it, it looked like a money transfer or a wire transfer form. I actually spent some time trying to find like <laughs> mid-90s Western Union forms online. <laughs> Thank you for that. doing that. <laughs> uh, what else do I have here? In the commentary, the film commentary... Chris Elliott notes that the wood had been painted green for a prior movie and it hadn't been stripped away. Um, and they, they're like, oh, it's a Jerry Lewis movie, The Disorderly Orderly. So, of course, I went and looked that up. So, The Disorderly Orderly was filmed in 1964, which means that 30 years later, they still hadn't properly cleaned up from that movie. So, I thought that was entertaining. Can I just yeah. jump onto that? Because right after that in the commentary, the guy that's interviewing Resnick and Elliott he asked the question, this is on a set right now. Yes. <laughs> as, as they just went into this whole thing about if the disorderly orderly was done, it was at the Greystone measure. So, I mean, and we're what? In minute four, as we very well know, and the interviewer already, as if right off the bat, he's just not paying attention to anything these people are saying. <laughs> Makes you wonder if he was thinking about their shoes. <laughs> perhaps pumpkin seeds yes perhaps pumpkin seeds <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's that's what i got i think we hit on all the uh major notes i guess i had a couple more questions do we believe that this is happening in may because it's graduation time that sounds reasonable may june something like that maybe we uh, see if there's any uh, we can establish any sort of timeline as we watch the the rest of the movie if there are any other clues as to time of year and i mean is he in california then i mean is that where this finishing school is supposed to be it has to be somewhere on the west coast because he's he leaves the school they're driving through what looks like kind of yeah, when they're when they're in the limo and he's walking along, that looks like California coastal kind of like scrubbish land. Uh, we'll we'll get into uh, the location of the Golden Mist Seaport in a future episode. But then obviously he's getting on a boat to go to Hawaii. It would not make sense that he was on the East Coast. Unlikely that they're in Mexico or Canada. <laughs> right. All right. I'll give it that. Gags per minute. I came up with uh, a number of seven. Seven. Seven okay. gags. Yep. Let's break it down. Well, I give I give one just to the end of his choir uh, singing. He really amps it up at the at the end there. So that's gotcha. one quote, uh, one gag check. I give his outfit a gag. Yes. His babbling a gag. Yeah. The gasp uh, a gag. I'll give you that one. The whole Reichmaster. Yes. 
fit with the click heels, the quote about the slightest discomfort, another mm-hmm. gag, shabbily dressed ha- headmaster. Sure. That was it. That's my seven. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd knock it down to six. I don't know if I'd take the blah, blah, blah as necessarily a joke. It's okay. It's kind of a weak one. All right. No, you, you convinced me. So six. All right. We'll, we'll agree on six. All right. Who All right. wins the scene? Nathaniel still wins the scene. He's continuing to uh, solidify as his place above the headmaster, at least in his own mind. Timmons, I, I first wrote Timmons uh, just because his acting I felt to be very good. But, you know, uh, who brings the, the most to the scene? It's definitely Nathaniel. Um, yeah. Particularly the, the, the peak is that uh, heel click in Reichmaster Timmons. Uh, going back to the quote. Nothing so liberates the heart as when a fool awakens from his folly. Right. So here, when Timmons is saying that the faculty and himself have given countless uh, attempts for him to curb his condescensions towards other, you know, that is clearly indicating his folly. Yes. We get the initial glimpse of it from the character in the choir scene. And at the end of the choir scene and during the scene, it's just really laying more of a foundation for how much of a fool Nathaniel is. And how much of a fool and just how blind he is to the rest of the world. As we see his, the way he just tunes out when Timmons starts talking to him. He immediately is ignoring what he has to say. Like, what? This doesn't matter. And then how does the scene serve the overall movie? We start, we start getting the jokes. The jokes start coming out. Uh, we get to see what uh, Elliot brings to the table. And we are, again, establishing the character of uh, Nathaniel. And uh, we, are, we are understanding. We're getting a little, getting a little backstory. Getting a little uh, idea of what we're dealing with. And it certainly uh, establishes the plot. It's the first uh, indication that he's going on a trip to yes. the Queen and the Queen Catherine. A little side note, it, do you think there's any chance that he did not know where that he was going to be leaving tomorrow and the Queen Catherine, and he's getting this in a telegram the day before? Where, what did he think he was doing? He doesn't need to think. Everything is just there for him. You really, you really know the mind of a fancy lady. <laughs> My my aspirational goal the moment I watch this movie. <laughs> Who seems the most embarrassed in this scene? Nobody. They both seem, uh, you know, my guess is that this was early on in shooting. They didn't really recognize what... <laughs> they, they had no understanding of where they were going to be going. So at this point, it was like kind of those first few days on set. Go, hey, here we go. We're getting started. Da-da-da. So... I, I don't think either of them were particularly embarrassed to be in the scene. If I had to give it to anyone, maybe Timmons, Mr. Ivor Hobson, uh, considering he only did one other movie after this that <laughs> might be indicative of how he felt about his Kemboy experience. Well, my answer was neither of them seemed embarrassed. And I think Elliot loves this. And Hobson, I think he's just happy to have work, honestly. I mean... He doesn't have a robust filmography. Uh, no. So, yeah, and I thought he brought it and wasn't embarrassed at all. He'd be, probably be happy to tell you about it. If he wasn't dead. 
Right. So anything that would make this scene more palatable to a general audience? Mine was taking Tim Burton's note, not wearing knickers. And maybe just wearing a regular outfit. Fair. Fair. That's probably the most absurd thing out of the scene. Although Chris Elliott's ridiculous interpretation of the fancy lad character, I'm sure, is immediately off-putting to people who really don't understand what they're dealing with, aren't ready for the absurdity. And again, what if it it was a Tim Burton movie and Chris Elliott's character was more a sadistic, like American psycho kind of character where he wasn't just like an asshole, he was an actual killer. That might fit with the American cinema sensibility a bit more. And on that, so celebrity what-ifs, I just had a note if Bill Murray was the headmaster. What if Bill Murray was every character? Right. We said Bill Murray in the last (laughs) one, but pretty much anybody. Or even Dave Letterman. I mean, Dave Letterman makes an appearance. Stick him right at the beginning of the movie. He wouldn't make a good headmaster, but... No. No, a good headmaster... James Earl Jones. Don Rickles. Yeah, Rickles. (laughs) Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for joining us. Uh, We look forward to sharing more tales of Minute 5. Take care. again for joining us on cabin boy minute please help spread the word tell your friends about us and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action details on how to support the pod or leave us a message or find us on twitter at at cabin boy minute we look forward to joining you again next week bon voyage